guys we're going to look at a message this morning a call to prayer and uh thank you for singing that i asked them to to make that switch this morning though the bulletin police may not see it otherwise <laughs> but anyway i appreciate y'all doing that a call to prayer first uh, first timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 8 is our message and you know prayer prayer is one of those it's very personal prayer is a very personal thing but it's a very public thing. Does that make sense? And when you think of your prayer life and the communication that you've had with the Father throughout your lifetime, I'm sure you could recall some great moments in your life 
that you've had with God, revealing His truth to you, or revealing a word to you, or revealing an answered prayer to you, or revealing maybe something sinful in your own life. And prayer has become that impactful moment in your Christian pilgrimage that has helped you to stand tall and approach, approach the throne of God with confidence but with great humility. To approach the throne of God with great reverence but yet at the same time in great strength. To realize that God is a God who, who inhabits the praise of His people but He also in, inhabits communication from His people, His sons and His daughters. Prayer, a call to prayer this morning. John Wesley said, God will do nothing but in answer to prayer. And yet it was E.M. Bounds that said that prayer is striking the winning blow and ministry is gathering up the results. You know, prayer is often, I think, the most underused and yet underrated and least misunderstood tool in, in the Christian life. And so when you think of prayer and the learning process of prayer and the growing experience of prayer, it can actually change our lives. Prayer changes our thoughts. Prayer changes who we are. Prayer changes what we do. Prayer changes how we communicate. Prayer changes our, our thinking about ourselves, about God's work, about His kingdom, about what we can do, how we can love, and how we can minister. Prayer is the impactful, most influential commodity and spiritual discipline that you and I have in life. And I'll, I'll repeat that statement. Ian e. Bounds says this, Prayer is striking the winning blow, and ministry is gathering up the results. Do we really believe in the power of prayer? Do you really believe that you can, you can see mountains move? Do you really believe that God can, can respond into the answer of your prayer? We are called on regularly to, to seek God in prayer. If you've never spent time with God and just pouring out your heart to Him, I challenge you to do so. He is big, he's a big boy. He can handle everything that you give Him. And He can handle everything that's given to Him all at one time. And there's nothing that you could ever share with God that's going to shock Him. And there's nothing that you could ever ask of Him that He probably hasn't heard before. And so God is capable of doing much through prayer. And yet missing out on the key of prayer in our Christian walk is like going to the grocery store and refusing to buy certain ingredients that make that meal the spice or the touch that you want it to be. If you were to place any value on any Christian discipline, would the discipline of prayer be up there at the top of your list? And at the same time, understand that prayer is true communion with God. It is when our heart becomes melted before God and He embraces us and caresses the heart and brings it alive, brings the Spirit alive within us that draws us closer to Him. What a glorious thing if millions of us would avail ourselves in the matter of prayer. We can change the course of events 
and go to our knees in believing prayer. Christ told us that the joy in heaven is when one sinner turns from their sin to God and breathes the simple prayer, God be merciful to me for I am a sinner. It was Malcolm Talbert who said, the church has a role as an intercessor, not only for those in its fellowship, but those outside the fellowship of the community. It's not to allow its concern for people expressed in prayer to be limited to any world's superficial categories of race or class, but it is to pray for all people, all men and all women. This means enemies. This means employees. This means employers. This means sisters and brothers, mothers and fathers, children, schoolmates, youth, friends, business associates, merchants, entertainers, government officials, congressional leadership, doctors, lawyers, pastors, teachers. The list goes on and on. All people. And yet all those who have not come to know the Lord Jesus Christ should be put at the top. Some questions to ask on the onset as we look at this passage of Scripture in just a moment are who and what is the object of your prayer? What is the content of your prayer? What is the motive behind you praying? And what is the goal of prayer? Those type questions we're going to try to answer based on the Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And it begins this in verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that they may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, a man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom from all, for all, a testimony for the proper time. For this I was appointed a herald and apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place, I want all people in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Powerful passage of Scripture that Paul is addressing to the church of Ephesus as he's trying to encourage and strengthen their pastor now, who is Timothy. We look at this and we look at the principle of God's Word and what we're called as Christians to do is to be called to a life of prayer, specifically intercessors on behalf of others. One of the greatest ways of serving God and others is getting alone with God and seeking His will and praying not for ourselves, but for the things surrounding us who involve the people around us, the parts that are hurting, the people who have needs, and we pray for their spiritual serenity. We pray for their spiritual condition. We pray for their spiritual heart. I feel that Paul brought out a few helpful challenges to Timothy that teaches the, Ephes the church of Ephesus 
that we as well can find inside this passage that can teach us as well the necessary things that helps us look at what's, what's important for our own life as a believer. First of all, let's look at a little bit of historical context about this passage, and then we'll answer a few questions about what prayer really is. Who was Timothy? The name Timothy means honored by God, valued by God. He was young, man early 30s. He was from Lystra. He was the son of Eunice and the grandson of Lois. And yet you learn certain things all throughout the book of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, as well as Corinthians, where Paul mentions Timothy. And every time he mentions him, he gives a little bit more of a nugget of who he is. In, 1 Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse, verse 5, he is called a person, a, a man from a godly Christian heritage. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he's called a youthful reader of the Scriptures. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Paul calls him a child of truth. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, he's, he's described as an ordained minister of the gospel. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, he's called a co-sufferer with Paul through affliction. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 10 through 11, he's, he's looked at as one who does the work of the Lord. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and following, he's called an ambassador who's charged with difficult tasks, honoring the Lord in those tasks. On and on, you can learn from Timothy. You can learn from the Scriptures who Timothy was. And this is the person Paul's speaking to. And he's saying, Timothy, I want to talk with you about prayer. I want to talk with you about the impact of what you can do as a pastor for the congregation and what you can do for the con lead the congregation to do for their community. And prayer is that aspect. Paul encouraged and he challenged Timothy to be a man that he was, to be obedient to the Lord, and to serve the Lord through prayer. And he's challenging him to do that. And here in verse 3 of chapter 1, if we, if we, as well as chapter 3, verse 15, you find the purpose of the entire book that is written, the pastoral letters even to Timothy and to Titus. The purpose is to call the church to stand firm against the false teachers and to call Timothy to a steadfastness and to teach the people how to live righteously. And one of those aspects of living that type of life is prayer. Paul wanted to prevent things from occurring. He wanted to influence the church in a positive way in, in, the, in the ministry of the Lord. He wanted them to, to not decline in moral fiber, but to increase in their love and their commitment to God. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 3. Chapter 6, verse 20. He's talking about forbidden the abstinence of, of various things in their life and, and he's challenging them to adhere to a strict calling that is, is placed upon his life as well as the church's life. Have you ever thought of this? The church is in the world. We're there. But we're to be different from the world. We're to renew our minds, transform them by the renewing of our minds in His Word. And yet we're to go back into the world and be the different people when we're driving down the highway, when we're standing in the grocery lines, when we're sitting in a doctor's office, where, when we're visiting with a person who has a need, 
when we're dealing with family crisis. Wherever we go, whoever we meet, we are to be the church in the midst of the world. And what better way to grab someone's hand and say, I want to pray with you. Not, not for you at this point. I want to pray with you and for you at that moment. Instead of looking at someone and saying, hey, I'll have you in my prayers this week. Don't. Stop at that moment and let them know that you're praying for them right then and there. Even if you're standing in the midst of a crowd on the beach in a bathing suit, or whether you're, whether you're in, a, in, a, in a mall, in a, in a store, or whether you're at the, the meat department in a grocery store, or if you're in a parking lot, stop right where you are and pray at that very moment with that person. The task given to Timothy is to be obedient. The key ingredient of the success of his ministry would be that obedience. And the key for the church's success is the same obedience that Paul challenges Timothy with. So let's look at this call to prayer. In verse 1 that we read, first of all then, he said, I urge that petitions and prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for everyone. What was, what was this? In verse 1, he, he gives us the object of prayer. He, he gives us exactly what we're to pray for. And it says all people. Paul suggested that the object of Christian prayer is the same object of Christ's death. The same object of our prayer and prayer life is the same object of Christ's death. Everyone. All people. He begins with the word therefore, and first of all, indicating what Paul was presenting was based on what he had previously said in chapter 1 and best understood in response to, here in chapter 2, to the actual doing of what he just said. Paul gives the place of prayer in the church which is the same place of prayer in our church today. Verse 1, he gives four words. He mentions supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Supplication was the earnest prayer. It's a sense of helplessness. It's a sense of need that we have in our life. The Lord's Prayer contains that same kind of earnest plea to the Father who is, and that supplication is the same that we apply today, that object of our prayer. And then he mentions the word prayers. That's humble entreaties. This is the most universal word in the New Testament for prayer and can only be made in, in reference to the requests made to God from mankind. And so it is expected that we pray to God, it is expected that we, we offer our, our concerns and our requests from our heart, from our human heart to holy God. Petitions and intercessions means meeting with one another. Hence, it is an encounter with God. So this is the exciting thing about prayer, is that when we have an intercessory prayer time, and we're praying for someone, and we're praying for their life, we're praying spiritually for them, we're praying for their physical needs, whatever the needs are in their life, the good thing that's happening it's when we're down on our knees, as Jeff mentioned a moment ago in his prayer that he mentioned in the offertory prayer. When we're down on our knees, we are having an encounter with the creator of the world on behalf of someone else. So there's a double whammy. It's a double benefit. We're being blessed because of being drawn closer to God 
in, in a moment of an encounter with God, and then the person we're praying for is being benefited because of God's work in their life on behalf of us, hum, our human heart, praying to the creator of the world. And then he mentions thanksgiving. Of course, going to God with a thankful heart. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for everything that you've done in my life. I thank you today that you woke me up. I thank you today for this food that I'm about to receive. I thank you today for the spouse in my life. I thank you for my children. I thank you for my job. I thank you for everything you've provided for me. I thank you for the clothes on my back, the roof over my head. Thank you for safety. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Again, the most interesting aspect of verse 1 is not about the emphasis placed on the type of prayer, but the object of that prayer is for all people. I urge you, therefore, the offerings of your prayers of all kinds be for all people, urgently praying for them. For all people includes government, it includes the kings, it includes the emperors, it includes, it includes the, the, the janitors of the world, it includes the teachers of the world, it includes everyone. Paul urges prayer for stability. He pray, he's encouraging prayer for security so that the spread of the gospel would continue. That's why he urged them to pray for the leaders. Have you ever thought about this? Lord God, we just pray for our government. We pray for our government. They would be so, so wrapped up in peace and they would be so calm in this midst that they would help to create world peace so that the gospel is spread every day faster and faster to every parts of the world. Because without that tranquility and that peace and that quiet life, the gospel is being snuffed out. Not only does he give the object of prayer in verse 1, number 2, he gives the content of that prayer. He gives the content of the prayer. May live a peaceful, quiet life in all godliness and holiness. The false teachers were bringing the gospel and the church into disharmony. The enemy of the world was trying to disharmonize the church and create disputes outside the church. And the concern was not the Christians to live a life free from trouble or distress, but to live in such a way in through their relationship to God that their teaching was peaceable, their teaching was gentle, matched with the example of holiness in their life. That was the content of his prayer. In a world and a time as today, we need people of faith to live from their relationship with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, exemplified through the example of holiness and godliness every day. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, Paul is addressing the church of Thessalonica. And he used the, identi the identifiable language as he used here in, to, with Timothy. And he mentions a quiet life, meaning to win the respect of unbelievers. Discontentment, disharmony, disunity, disputing never wins the respects, respect of others. The language of godliness has to do with the proper behavior which readily seen from the casual onlooker. It's a life not filled with inconsistencies, but moves in the direction of the consistent righteousness that honors God in all holiness. So not only do you see the object of prayer, and you see the content of prayer of being a quiet, peaceable life unto that 
righteousness as well as that holiness. But third of all, we see the motive of prayer. The motive of prayer. And this is the exciting thing. Have you ever thought about your prayer life brings pleasure to God? To me, that's a wow moment. Realizing that, that the motive that we have brings pleasure to God. It's good and it's acceptable before God. I just kind of, you know, there were so many times in my life my children came knocking at my door. When I say door, I don't mean literal door, figuratively. And I pushed them aside. Oh, Dad's got something to do. I've got something else better to do. I've got someone else, another place i got to go. And so often I had to put them off. But as, as much as I failed in those areas throughout the upbringing of my three children, I, I look at God's response to me. And if I call out Father, God, it's almost as if he just says, Shh, be quiet, heaven. A child of mine is calling my name. And he gives that attention. And prayer is giving pleasure to God. When the child of God calls upon him or her, calls upon, upon him, him or her calls upon God, and it, it blesses God because it is good. It is good that you pray. It is acceptable to God that you pray. Why is it good? Why is it acceptable? Why does it bring pleasure to God? Because God has saved us and he wants salvation to come alive within us and he wants the abundant living to be prevalent in each of our lives. The phrase, God our Savior, indicates God is the originator of the saving event and yet is the continuator of that event as well. While we join him in this continuating event, it is through the verbal witness that we continue it through our prayer life. And so we're continuing the act of salvation when we call on God because he saves us from the pit of our sin and from the, what we deserve as death, he saves us from that and he grants to us the continuation to live that salvation every day and we continue that as we pray for the people around us. Paul says to Timothy, there are people to be reached and you can reach them. And the church is the powerful resource of Ephesus that can follow that example as this church can today. Not only do we see the object, and we see the content of prayer. We see the motive of prayer. But fourth, we see the goal of prayer in verse 4. The goal is that people be saved. God desires all men to be saved, to come to repentance, and to turn from darkness to light. He desires all, all to be freed from the bondage. And yet, He does not guarantee the completion of it because of human beings' freedom, he guarantees the, the completion of it because of his gift of freedom to human beings. He wishes all to be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth of God. He desires his children to grasp the gospel message to the point that they live out that message every day. Why are these goals good? Because in verse 5 and 6, in verse 5 it says there is one God 
the unity of God. There is one mediator, the man Christ, and there is one ransom given. Christ's death secures that freedom and that redemption. The one God meant only, only that there were, were, there were no other gods. Jehovah God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all one God is over all people and it desires to be intimately known by everyone. God is the one who's the sole object. He is the allegiance. He is the praise and He is the worship. And He is that object in which we give our hearts to. The phrase one mediator between God and man is a reference to Christ's death and His work that has solidified the opening up so that we can approach God in the first place. You know, you look at the, 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 the teachings of the Old Testament of where the priest was to go into the Holy of Holies, the, the Day of Atonement that happened once a year. And behind the curtain was the priest who offered up the animal sacrifices, the shedding of blood on the altar. And he would pray to God that God would forgive the people of the sin for the entire year that they have committed. And the people were very anxious to hear the priest as he comes out of that temple. And if the priest was smiling and was, and was happy, then they knew they were free. If the priest was having difficulty and trouble, then they knew they were in trouble. And so it was important as they waited on that priest. He was their mediator. He was the one in which they found freedom for the forgiveness of their sin. When Christ died, that curtain was torn between the top to the bottom. Not from the bottom to the top. The top to the bottom, which was in a supernatural event. And that curtain was torn. And the Holy of Holies was now access, acceptable through, through each of us approaching God at, that own, at our own throne room. And we pray to God. One mediator between man and God, which is Christ Jesus. An understanding as well, Jesus became the go-between that intervened on our behalf. The phrase, gave himself as a ransom of many in verse 6, is then referred to the man Christ, identifies Christ both as man and God. God, man, gave himself as a sacrifice for your sins and mine. It's interesting that word ransom is a commercial term for freedom. And through the work of Christ, God provided spiritual freedom. Christ secured man's release from the penalty of his or her sin. Paul continues that discussion in verse 7 as he's continuing to try to help him to understand the goal of prayer. And Timothy saying to him, the, the my, encounter, my encounter with the living God changed my life, and your encounter with the living God is going to change your life and the next person's life and the next person's life. And when you pray, you're encountering God and you're experiencing God in a powerful way. Paul says, I have been called as a preacher, a herald, and a teacher of faith and truth. Why would he interject that point? Because he was instructing Timothy to, to, to appeal to his mind that you are too a teacher. You are too a herald. Guess what? You and I are teachers and heralds every day. It may not be from a pulpit. It may not be from a public environment. But you are a herald of the gospel. And if you bow your head and you pray for the salvation of your neighbor, you have just perpetuated the gospel to be birthed in the heart of that person. Progression of verse 7, however, is interesting. Paul begins by talking about himself, but he ends by talking about the ministry to the Gentiles of faith and truth. 
The same reason Paul is appointed the herald and the teacher is the same reason the church is commissioned today. And it doesn't matter where you are in this world. If it's a Christian church, we're called to make disciples and to develop them to the point that they're making disciples so that those disciples are making disciples. Verse 8 brings it to a close. He says, The object, the content, the motive, and the goal of prayer, now last is this, is the attitude of prayer. The attitude of prayer in verse 8. And he goes on to say, if we look at it again, it says, Therefore I want every man in every place lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. He's talking about a worship time. <laughs> He's talking about a private worship time where we, we have an encounter with God and we let things go and we just, we're focusing on God and, and He's ministering to us as we're praying to Him. Worship without the barrier of anger and dissension is the freedom of the openness to the holiness of God. And it makes the fellow worshiper realize that holiness is good. Worship without prejudice and without resentment, having the freedom in worship in spirit and in truth. In the closing part of that book in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, Paul says to Timothy, the things that you will face will be enough to cause you to quit your ministry because of the falsehood, the godliness, the godlessness, and the disobedience going on. But he says, Timothy, my son, continue in the things that you're assured of. But what are those things that we're assured of? We're assured that we can continue in fellowship with God. You could be the last person on the face of the earth as a Christian, and you can still have fellowship with God. You continue in the Word of God and allow that Word to instruct you. You continue in prayer for all people. You continue in the principle of sowing and reaping, of doing His work. Why? Because deep down, we know that works. Be encouraged to continue in the Lord and to continue in the ministry of prayer. You say, Pastor, there's no way I could be a minister. Yes, you are. If you bowed your head ever, ever in your life, and you said, Father, I pray for him or her for their salvation, or I pray for their spiritual needs, then you have entered the ministry, and it's a ministry of prayer. We are the ambassadors that represents the kingdom of God on behalf of those who are not, quali are not qualified at the moment to be called ambassadors. But we're praying that they will understand that quali qualification. God takes pleasure in the salvation of all. Therefore, he takes pleasure in the prayer that you pray. Will you commit to this pleasure of God? Simple ask, simply asked. Will you commit to this pleasure of God? There's no more pointed question and answer. Will you pray to God today? Will you commit to the ministry of prayer? I promise you that in your commitment, you will encounter God and it will bless His heart and your heart will just be overwhelmed with His awesomeness and the allness of who He is. Let's pray together. Father God, we, we thank You that You grant to us this privilege of calling You our Father, 
thanking you that, that as we bow in your presence, that we do not have a busy signal, that we've grabbed the attention of the creator of the world. We thank you, God, that we could be called your sons and daughters, not from how good we are, but because of how well you saved us. Father, we thank you that as we recognize you as Lord of all, that we have the privilege of praying that all will understand you as Lord. Father, I thank you as well that, that into the crevice of our own hearts you challenge us to draw closer to you, to draw near to you every day. And prayer becomes that wonderful avenue of experiencing and encountering you in your great pleasure. Father, I'm thankful that you have taught us many truths, that you have taught us many things throughout our life through Scripture, that you have taught us as Jesus has taught us so many times how to pray. He says to us, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. And we thank you for the privilege of an encounter with you. In your name that we pray, amen. amen. My friend, we want to stand and sing a song of affirmation, a song of commitment, beautiful song, sweet hour of prayer as we sing that together. May this call us into that sweet hour of prayer together. So let's stand. Let's sing. Spirits burn with strong desires. 
Thank you for listening to the Worship Cast, brought to you from Gathering Community Church, located in Surfside Beach, South Carolina. For more information about our church and our ministries, please visit our website at www.gatheringcommunitychurch.com. Thank you again, and have a blessed week.